Holy cow, we made it to episode 150. Woohoo! Right now is the best time ever to be in the music industry. The opportunities to build, engage, and monetize a fan base has never been easier. So why do so many artists still feel stuck and frustrated? Because the music industry is constantly evolving, and they aren't. I created this podcast as a way to help you navigate the music industry, to stay up to date with the changes, to help get your mind focused on what really matters. My name is Rick Barker, and I went from living homeless on the streets, addicted to drugs, to helping launch one of the biggest stars in the world. I've consulted major labels like Sony and Big Machine Records, talent TV shows like American Idol and The Launch. I co-authored the $150,000 music degree, and I speak at music conferences all over the world. I have a goal to affect millions of people with songs I didn't write or perform by helping creatives just like you get your content to the world. This podcast is one of my ways to achieve that. Welcome to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. So here we are, episode 150, holy crap, 150 of the podcast. And on this episode, we're going to do things just a bit different. I am going to be interviewed by Maddie Newton. What I mean by that is I've had a boatload of questions that Hannah has been accumulating over the last few months. Uh, a lot of questions that we get asked a lot of. And I thought, what a better way to celebrate 150 than to make it all about you. Yes, they're normally all about you, but this one... I wanted it to be your questions. I wanted it to be fun. And I didn't want to ask myself the question, so I thought I would bring in Maddie Newton. A lot of you know Maddie. She's an artist. Uh, we've been working together for many years. She actually works uh, at the office. She's a reason why a lot of you are here. It's because of her social media expertise as well that you are constantly getting this message. And before we jump into this, I want to do our listener spotlight. So the listener spotlight this week is someone who's left a review on iTunes. So this is from Genesee Country, and she says, excellent source of info for musicians of all levels. Four stars, four out of a possible five. Here's what she had to say. Since listening to the podcast and utilizing Rick's methods, I've grown my Twitter following by over 1,000%. That's right, three zeros. I've streamlined all my social media operations. I'm exploring new parts of the music industry, sync licensing, branding, and more. This is a wealth of knowledge and encouragement from one of the most experienced voices in the biz, and he keeps learning so you can stay up to date with this quickly changing industry, and this resource is free. Would absolutely recommend musicians of all levels. Man, I wonder what it takes to get a five-star out of Genesee. We'll do better on this one. So, Maddie, first off, thank you for taking the time to do this, and you've got the list of questions, so bring them, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rick, for having me. It's an honor to be on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast after listening to it every day. So, I think the first one is an obvious one that happens a lot. Tell us a little bit about your background. I know you manage Taylor Swift. Can you tell us about that? So, I actually got my start in radio. Uh, I did that for 15 years, and it was a lot of fun. I absolutely enjoyed everything about it. I've always been a lover of music, didn't have the talent like yourself to be able to be an artist, but I loved promoting artists. Uh, when I started a country station in 2001, I realized that there were some parts of the industry that I could serve. And one of those was with radio tours. So I created 
the first ever paid radio tour called the Nashville Do You Radio Tour. A lot of the artists that went out on that, Sugarland, Little Big Town. Josh Turner was the first artist that actually went out. But what that did is it got me on the radar of Scott Borchetta. So when Scott started, well, he had already started Big Machine Records, but in the beginning, if you recall, Scott had a label and Toby Keith had a label. They were partners. So when they decided to go separate ways, Scott gave Toby the radio promotion staff that was already in place and built a new staff from scratch. And he offered me a job as the West Coast Regional Promoter. I was the first regional promoter hired by the new Big Machine Records. And on that label was a 15-year-old by the name of Taylor Swift that no one had really heard of yet. Jack Ingram, a regional artist out of Texas, and Danielle Peck. And we decided early on that Taylor needed to understand radio and understand the business. So he sent her to me in California and said, teach her uh, the business. And she flew out with her mom. We spent 30 days together that kind of changed both of our lives. And six months after that, her family reached out and asked me to be her manager, which my first response was no. I didn't feel I had the experience. I didn't feel that I was the most qualified person to be able to guide this brand new career. Turns out that uh, we were the right fit for each other. I wanted to teach, she wanted to learn. We were both willing to try things that were different. And in the beginning, a lot of people laughed, but in the end, no one was laughing. So mm -hmm. I was with Taylor until 2008, and then decided that if I wanted to stay married and be a father to my kids, being on the road 187 days a year wasn't going to cut it. So I left Taylor, went on to work with Sony Music, Big Machine Records, managed other artists, and then about five years, a little over five years ago, started the Music Industry Blueprint, where I now help artists all over the world. I've become like a virtual manager for a lot of people, and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, it was a blast. She was fun. Uh, she's still in my opinion, the best when it comes to uh, really working and staying in touch with her fan base. Uh, a lot of people saw the writing on the wall. Not a lot of people could duplicate it, but she's a total rock star and was honored to be a part of that. This next one ties into what you were saying about being a virtual manager. When a client first comes to you for help promoting their music, what are some of the first things you usually tell them? First thing we have to do is make sure that the music's right. I like to sit down. One of the first questions I ask anyone, no matter what situation is, is what are their goals? And once we know what the goals are, then it's real easy at that point to lay out a plan. Many times we have to make sure that the plans are realistic. Um, often, more times than not, it's too grand for the time frame that they would like this to happen. Everyone wants to be a star today. I shared a really interesting story in the last episode of the podcast about the, the Chinese bamboo tree. There's a lot that needs to go on before we see what happens on the surface. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So first I wanna make sure the music's right. Then I wanna make sure they know who they are as an artist, where do they fit in? Where can we go find an audience that's perfect for what it is that they're doing? And then really hammer home that this is a business and it's gonna take time, just like with any successful business. So mindset for me, music, brand and making sure that they're willing to do the work. Work ethic is one of the things that Taylor had that we can't teach. We can teach a lot of things. If you need vocal help, I can get you with Brett Manning or Linda Septian. If you need help with production, you know, we can get you in the studio with a producer. There's some great courses out there to help with the production side of things. But that discipline and that work ethic and that consistency of putting it all together is one of the things that I can't teach. So that's what I really try to hone in on and focus in on. 
You talk about the concept of branding. What is it and why is it important? Because it's very noisy out there. There's no shortage of people putting out music on a daily basis. So what is it that's going to make you come top of mind when people are searching you out? One of the things we like to make sure is that your music and your, your brand, the aesthetics are on point. One of the things I think artists make a mistake with is that they don't realize that who they are, their values, their traits, and who they are as people is just as much as important as a part of the brand as is your fonts and your colors. People tend to focus on logos and fonts and colors, and that's not it at all. So once we can identify what makes you different and then go identify the people that will relate to that, that's why the branding is so important. If not, it's just a bunch of the same stuff that's sitting out in a very noisy place anyway. Totally. What should artists include in their bio? Do they even need one? I think you still need a bio. People are curious. I don't think it needs to be as long as it used to be. I don't think that, you know, the, the press release bio that's written by a press person, you know, the future rising star, all that stuff's kind of blah, blah, blah at this point. I think what's important in a bio is who you are, what you stand for, what your music about, and how your music is going to impact them. Seth Mosley said something. He says, uh, it's their story, but your songs. Or what was it? it? It's their songs, but your story. I think the point that he was making is that your music needs to tap into them. It really does. As you're the one writing it, you're the one creating it. It really needs to tap into them. And I think that's super, super important when it comes to any business. We get tied, we get so attached to it and emotionally attached to it because it's your babies. But we want to make sure that we can find people that your music's going to resonate with. I know a lot of people ask this in today's day and age. Do you think defining your genre is important? And if so, why? I think it's still important to not try to be everything to everyone. Now, genre was super important back when radio stations only played specific types of music. But now everyone's consuming their music on their iPhones. They're con consuming it on their, their Android phones. They're utilizing Spotify and iTunes music. Uh, to hear their music and not anyone has just one style of music but I really think it's hard for you to solidify yourself as an artist trying to be everything to everyone so I do think genre is important but I don't think I think we can veer off a little bit without getting too complicated I think that the way things are crossing over it used to be it physically had to cross over from the country radio station to the pop station for example now it's crossing over at a much uh, more rapid pace because of streaming, because of playlisting, because of things like that. But I think that it's really important that you focus on where you fit in, the style of music. Once again, does it match up with your brand? So I think it's still super important. It's just not as important as it used to be. What are some important things to keep in mind when communicating to your fans and potential fans? Once again, I think to realize that it's about them. Where does your music fit in to their life. I think the fans today want to know that you know them, not just that they know you. In the beginning of social media, for whatever reason, people were told, you shouldn't follow any anyone back. You're the artist. You should be up here and they should be down here. And I think that's a very dangerous game to play right now. Artists want to feel that they're connected to you. That's one of the things I think Taylor did very well was that they felt like she was their friend. They felt like they knew her, that she knew them, even though it's impossible 
to know the millions of fans that you have. She delivers her content in such a way that it makes it feel like she's talking just to them. And that's one of the things I really try to teach is the one-to-many strategy. Uh, one of my mentors, Jason Fladlin, wrote a great book called One to Many. And it's like, how can you get your message to one when talking to many? That's what social media has done. It's allowing us to talk to a lot of people at one time. But I think the more we can personalize it to a specific group of people will help you isolate and make sure that your message is getting across. But don't be afraid to listen. Don't be afraid to comment. Don't be afraid to follow. It's going to come in very handy down the road when you ultimately need to ask for something. And this one probably ties along with that. Somebody asked, how do you keep fans coming back to your website and social media sites so they're not just one and done? Don't suck. <laughs> just don't post things about yourself. Too often artists will only show up when they need something. Vote for me, do for me, buy for me. When you can get involved in conversations every day and bring value to those conversations, it's going to make it much easier for you to slip them your music, for, for you to get your music into that conversation. But realize once again, it's about them. As much as we think that it's about us, it's really not. It's definitely about them. Do you think some social media sites are more effective than others? Really depends. I think if you're an older artist that Facebook's going to probably be more important to you than a younger artist. I think Instagram is important to everyone right now. At the taping of this podcast, it is the most active on a daily basis. People are still discovering their music. The number one discovery place for music is not Apple. It's not iTunes. It's not Spotify. It's actually YouTube. So YouTube still plays a very valuable role. Twitter I mean, Twitter is so active right now and it's very link friendly. So each of them speak a different language. I share a lot of that in the free training that I do, uh, how to grow your music biz in under an hour a day. We talk about the different platforms. I think you need to be present on the ones that I call the most important for the music industry, which are Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You're going to have one that you favor. We tend to favor Instagram right now, but we are present on all of these other platforms. But I think they all speak a different language. They all need to be treated differently. And the worst thing that you can do for yourself is to post one thing and share the exact same content with the descriptions, the words, the pictures and everything across all the platforms at the same exact time. It just kind of shows that you're lazy and you're not willing to put in the work. What are some good ways for artists to get started with setting up a website if they don't already have one? Websites are super important because of the fact that it's the only thing that you own. One of the things that we're really focusing on now in our own business, and I'm encouraging the artists that I work with to do the same, is that we find them online, but we bring them offline. Your website can give you access to get an email address. Your website is where you can go back and retarget people who visited your website. I know that's real technical, and we talk about that in a few of the other podcast episodes. But I think the website and your music are the things that you own. That's what's super important to you. You can get free services. You can go to ClickFunnels and get a 14-day trial. You can go to Wix. You know, there's a lot of places. But on your website, make sure that you are you don't make it hard for them to find your music. I see that mistake being made a lot. Don't just try to immediately, when someone gets to your website, get them to buy something. Let them see you, hear you, get to know you, and then do the ask. But a website is so powerful, so important, and I can't stress that enough. How important is having a lot of followers or subscribers? It's not as important as it used to be. The vanity metrics is the word that they use. 
a lot of times people would see someone had a lot of followers and just all of a sudden think that they were very popular and then you could start buying followers and you could buy subscribers and you could buy likes. What we look at now and what's more important is that you focus on the engagement. Are the people engaging with what it is that you're doing? If you have 300 followers, but every time you post something, 30, 40, or 50 of them engaged, that's more impressive to me than someone who's got 100,000 followers and gets six likes. Or they have 50,000 Twitter followers, but they get no, sh no retweets and no likes and no shares. So we're really looking at the engagement. Less is more right now. I think it's easier to serve a smaller community. And by doing that, I think it can be more beneficial and monetarily uh, more rewarding. So these next couple have to do with live shows. Okay. How do you turn someone who may casually like your song into someone who buys from you and comes to your shows? First off, you have to have music that they relate with, that they're singing along with, that they feel like it got a hold of them. And once that happens, you need to get more of that same kind of music, especially if you only have one cool song that people relate to in your show, then you're probably not ready to do live shows on a consistent basis. And don't get discouraged if people aren't flocking to the merch table to meet you afterwards. But I think when you can get your music right, your performance right, Tom Jackson, our good friend, talks about this, when you can create moments inside your set that ultimately allow you to connect with the audience, then they want to come meet you. They want to see what it is that you have to sell. Most artists that I work with are afraid to sell themselves. They love the performing side of things. They love the songwriting side of things, but they get real nervous when it comes to asking people to buy. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we might be asking for the sale too quick besides asking for the relationship. Come meet me. I want to get to know you are great things to say from the stage. One strategy that I teach that I think super important is if you can get a chance to wander the crowd before the show and meet as many people before your show, reminding them that you're about to take the stage, then they feel like they already know you. So when you get on stage, maybe you have their attention more now because they're curious to see what you're capable of, the person that they just met that stopped by that took the time to say hello. So those are some simple little strategies you can use to get people really engaged before the show, during the show. And if you're inviting them to come hang out with you, not go to my merch table and buy all my stuff, but head over to the merch table. I would love to get to know you more, take pictures, share your pictures on my social media platforms, things like that. Then they're going to go, well, heck, I'm going to share it on my social media platform too. So there's a lot of cool strategies, but you've got to become interactive. You really do. You have to become engaging. Well, you basically just answered the next two questions and that one about how do you get people to buy your albums while you're playing a show and how to work a room at your show. Here's one thing. If you're play a song and open your eyes, <laughs> A lot of artists will close their eyes when they're performing. If you open your eyes, you're able to see the reaction that the songs are getting. If people are digging it, you can tell if someone's heard it for the first time and they're really jamming with it. If that song is on your CD or you have the ability for them to either get it from Spotify or on a CD, let them know after that song that, by the way, that song is on my debut album. Matter of fact, at the end of the show, I want to get to know as many of you that want to come by and say hello and hang out, it's available there. Also to pull out your phone, go to Spotify. You can find me at Maddie Newton on Spotify. That song is on that playlist. So we have to assume that they're not going to do it on their own. 
that we need to guide them, that they're not just going to magically go, oh my gosh, she was the best artist that I ever saw. And when I get home, I'm going to go everywhere and learn as much about her as I possibly can. That's probably not going to happen. So we need to get them to someplace, either to the merch booth, to give them something, to try to get their email address, to get them at least to Spotify, let them follow you, tell everyone, take out your phones, follow me on Spotify. That song is there. While you're there, go ahead and subscribe so that you'll get notifications whenever I release new music. So that's another strategy and tip that you can use. Yeah, that's great. I really like this next question. How do you know if you're a good investment as an artist? If you are already making money in your business, if, and it doesn't have to be a lot, but today the labels are not designed to build businesses. They're designed to amplify businesses. They have relationships. They have most of the time a bigger pocketbook than you do. But if they see something that's working, just because you sing and you write songs and your friends in your town think that you should be on the radio doesn't necessarily mean you should. There's a lot of uneducated people about the business that put false beliefs, I think, inside artists' head where they think they're just the, the next big thing because a few people have told them so. When you're selling tickets to shows, when you are getting you know, multiple, your monthly listeners are starting to grow, your subscribers are starting to grow, your engagement's starting to grow, now you can start looking at yourself as, okay, how can I amplify this myself? And then reach out to someone and say, okay, this is what I've been able to do. These are the people that are digging my music. This is how many tickets I'm able to sell. I just released a piece of merch. We sold 100 t-shirts. Like I said, the numbers don't have to be big, but you need to show that you're succeeding in your business. Because if you can't succeed with your business, why would someone want to bring you into their business? If it looks like you're needy or you feel that you need them in order to be successful, a lot of times people will tell me, they'll say, hey, I really need a label. And I'm like, man, the person who thinks that way is probably not the right person for a label because they don't understand the labels are not designed to start you from scratch. Take all the tools and all the resources. We were joking earlier in the office about being a musician in the 21st century. All of the tools, all of the tools are available for you today. You don't need to ask anyone's permission. You don't need to wait for someone in the industry to quote unquote validate you that you're good enough. Continue to build your catalog of music, continue to play your shows, continue to build your fans, continue to build your relationships. And when the time is right and someone sees that they can make money, that's a, it's a business. That's why it's called the music business, not the music free stuff all the time. <laughs> when, it, when someone feels that they can make money from your business and bring it into their business, that's the golden ticket at that point. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think being a really good songwriter and singer is enough or... Do you think if you're good, you'll stumble into success somehow? I don't think anyone in any, anything has ever stumbled into success. There's been work. There's been relationships. There's been teams. There's been opportunities that have been presented to them. I think that today there are a lot of great songwriters who don't want to be artists. I think one of the biggest mistakes that artists make is they feel they have to be the singer, the songwriter, the performer. They have to be everything. A hit song is a hit song. It doesn't matter where it comes from. What I think artists need to be right now is first off, they need to understand what it is that they want to do. They need to be able to identify what their weaknesses are and bring people in that can help them with their weaknesses. They need to focus on their strengths. A lot of times you'll hear people, and I say a lot of times a lot, by the way, if you use it as a drinking game, you're probably wasted by now. But <laughs> um, what'll happen is 
they will feel that they have to be it and they shouldn't be singing their own songs. They shouldn't be performing on their own songs. They should be going out, making relationships and focus on the things that uh, they do well and bring in people. It's like, well, you don't need to work on that. You're already good at it. Focus on your weaknesses. No, I buy help for my weaknesses. I don't focus on my weaknesses. I get help for that. I think artists need to do the same thing. This next person said, I think a lot of musicians think since they're in the music industry, they don't have to take a professional approach because they're a laid back musician. Is this a good approach? How important is professionalism as an artist and how can an artist appear professional? Being lazy is never good for anything. Being laid back is maybe good when you're casually hanging out with your friends, but this is a cutthroat business. This is a business that there's a lot of people wanting the same thing that you want. So I think the laid back approach is going to kill you. I think that if that is your personality and you can't get out of it, it's okay. But don't have expectations of bigger things if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone. And that's where I think a lot of artists stay laid back is because they're afraid of that pain. They're afraid of that rejection. They're, well, if I'm too outgoing, then someone can tell me no. So I'll just rather be laid back and wait for them to come to me. You might find yourself waiting a long time. One story that always comes to mind is that of the Coast Guard when they say, who are you going to rescue? When you show up at a crash site and you've got a helicopter and a basket and you can only take so many people and there's more people in the water than there are that you can get into your helicopter, who do you determine who you're going to save? And their answer is simple, those that are swimming towards me. So if you're running away or you're laid back waiting for us, you're gonna drown. And I think that's the same in life. I think that's the same in business. So you want to be moving forward. Don't be annoying, but definitely get yourself out there. Put yourself out there and no one is entitled to success. There's not a success store. You can't go to the store and buy it. The next question is, can you buy success? No. If you're an artist who has a lot of money to throw at your career, is there a way to spend it to make you successful? There's not a way to spend it to make you successful. There's a way to spend it to make you smart. And the way to spend it is to invest in the things you need in order to be successful. Success is a byproduct of a lot of things. No one starts with success. So you can get the proper education. If you're, if you need to, you know, get better produced songs, you've got money for that. If you need to go out and tour, you've got money for that. If you need to get education, you've got money for that. But don't think that you can buy your way into this. There's no shortage of money. There's no shortage of people with talent. There's no shortage of people with money and talent. So why isn't everyone with money and talent a success? Because that's not how it works. Money gives you access to get better coaching, to get better equipment, to not have to sit around and spend six months trying to save up money because you want to release a song. There's a lot of opportunities that money gives you, but I've watched a lot of people waste a lot of money trying to shortcut and buy themselves success. You can't shortcut success. You can shortcut your learning. You can shortcut your path, but you can't shortcut success. How important is knowing people in the industry? Is it really all about who you know? I think it is still all about who you know, but it's who you know at the level you're at. So if you're a new artist and you come to Nashville, it's good that you get to know who the person is who books the local writers rounds. Most of you think you need to know the head of the publishing companies or the head of the record labels. No, you need to know the person that can help get you 
to that next step. So I think, yes, it's important who you know, but get to who you need to know at that level to get you to that next step. So for example, if you want to get to Rusty Gadsden, who's now the head of Sony Publishing, you may want to start by getting to know the people that host the writers rounds. You may want to get to know who some of the younger writers are on his roster and where they're doing writers rounds. Then you want to get to know who books the writers rounds so that you can get on those rounds because someone like Rusty or someone from his staff is going to come watch that new writer that they have and they may see you performing at that show. And then you may get a chance to get to meet them and they say, listen, I would love to hear some of your demos. And if you don't have quality demos, it's important that you know who to ask to go get those demos that they're asking for. And then when they ask you, when can I see this? Do you have what, What's your social media like? What's your engagement like? It's important that you know who to get that information from to make sure that you have all this stuff. So get to know who can help you move to that next level, not ultimately to the top level. There's a reason why there's an elevator and there's a reason why there's stairs. You just can't teleport yourself to the top. There's work that needs to be done to get up to that next level. You live in Nashville. How important is it to live in a major music city like Nashville, New York, LA, and London? I think it's important. I think at the time when you're ready, it's important to make that move. I think that in Nashville, you're going to get with some of the best songwriters in the world. What happens when you move to a, a city, a, a hub like Austin, if you're bands and hip hop, you get down to Atlanta, pop LA, you know, you make the trips to LA. It's, it will help you step your game up. There's a new level of competition when you come to these areas. There's a new level of, holy crap, I'm not as good as I thought I was in Middletown, USA someplace. It really, for the right artists, it really opens their eyes. It really challenges them to better themselves. I think it's important for networking. I think it's important for building those in-person relationships. Yes, there's a lot of relationships that you can make online, but you want to ultimately, back to what I said earlier, take those relationships, find them online, take them offline. You can answer this question too. How important has it been for you to be able to go have coffee with someone or to physically write with them in a room? You've done Skype writes before. It's not the same thing. Answer that question. For As an artist, do you feel it's important? Because you live here in Nashville, mm -hmm. but you're a pop artist. So you also make trips to LA. So share a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly doing pop music making trips to LA and asking myself, like, do I need to live there? Do I need to stay in Nashville? Because there is a difference in being located in the place that you want to be involved in that culture because it, it does become something where everybody gets to know each other and you're either in the circles or you're not. And if you don't have access to the people that are in the circles on a regular basis, sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. Correct. So you can build relationships and make frequent trips and that works for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, if it's something that you're really serious about, I think you have to go submerge yourself in the community. What's neat too is with the economy, the way that it is right now, a lot of the music industry is finding their way to Nashville because of the cost of living, because of the proximity at which you can walk into 15 recording studios just from where we're sitting in our office right now, we could visit 50 publishing companies, we could visit eight major, you know, mm -hmm. it's all right here. It's proximity once again. And you can build these relationships and work on your craft here. And then what's been neat, 
especially in your situation, is a lot of the relationships that you've made here in Nashville, they also have relationships in those other cities and yeah. they're able to make recommendations because they've been in the room with you or they've seen what you're capable of or they watched you perform and say, okay, you need to meet my friend. You know, there's an AWOL office here in Nashville, but there's also one in Los Angeles. There's a William Morris and CAA here in Nashville. There's also one in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of record companies that are here that are also in Los Angeles. There's now uh, production companies that are both based in Los Angeles, London, Nashville. So I think once you're ready to fight and once you feel you're ready to compete, make a couple visits. But come for like a week at a time or two weeks at a time. Rent an Airbnb, put some money away, come here, take the first couple days to get acclimated into the scene. Go watch. Don't want, don't, this is just me and this is only my opinion. I don't think the first day you get here, you need to go perform. I think the first day, couple days you get here, you need to go see the lay of the land. You need to understand what people are talking about. You need to kind of see who's who in that space of where you are at that point. But definitely start making trips if you feel you're ready to take it to that next level. Totally. Do you need to worry about building a fan base if you want to get signed to a label? Yes. Next question. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's this way. They're not designed to build fans. That's not what they're designed for. If you have no reason for them to release your music, they're not going to release your music. They may sign you because they think you're fantastic. That happens all the time. We were talking earlier, there's an artist here on a label that's been there for seven years that's never released one song. Why? Because there's no audience that's demanding the music. If you want to have success today, you need to have you need to get the ball rolling and they'll come and roll it even faster for you, but it's up to you. Fans are the only thing that keep you alive. And if the record company doesn't make money until you make money, how are they going to make money off an audience that doesn't exist? So yes, you need fans before approaching a record label. You better have a solid business in place, a solid team in place, and you better have a buzz that people just can't ignore before you approach a record company today if you want to be successful. Because getting signed to a label is not hard. Staying signed is hard. Getting a record deal is not hard. Releasing a record is hard. So let's make sure it's the right situation. So that leads into the final question today. Yep. If you get signed to a label, is that it? Are you all set? If not, what else would you have to do at that point to further your career? One in 25. So for every 25 artists that a label signs, one sticks. The odds are not in your favor. What needs to happen is this. You want to have so much in place that if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, you have a business to fall back on. What you don't want is that to be the only source of being able to release music because when you sign a contract, you're now an employee. You're not the business owner anymore. You're now, yes, you own your business, but your business is now the employee of this other business. So you want to make sure that you are in a position to be able to walk in and make demands in your contract that state, we will have a song released by this date. And if not, I'm released free and clear from my contract. When you come to the table with shows, with streams, with numbers, with a business that's working and they want to work with you that bad, then you're able to put outs in your contract. Now, the big thing that everyone's talking about, you might have just recently heard it with Taylor getting upset because she didn't own her masters. Now what you can do if you're smart is the master owner is the person who put up the money and took the risk. 
That's basically what it is. They put up the money for the recordings. They took all the risk. And if it doesn't work out, they hold on to your masters and maybe down the road they can exploit them to end up making money. If you are smart, you will go ahead and record your own music, bring a record to the deal and let the label license the deal so that after a certain period of time that whatever's agreed upon in your contract, you get to walk with your masters because he or she who owns the masters makes the decisions based around that music. You can record on your computer these days. You can get quality masters recorded at a hundredth of the cost that it used to take. The reason the labels were needed is because it used to cost a half a million dollars to record a quality record. Now you can record a record for five grand, 10 grand. A lot of the recordings that are happening now are happening in home studios. You don't have to go rent a massive studio and acquire all those costs. So once again, this is you, your business. You make sure that you've got your business set up properly. Your business is making money. You go out and get the help that you need in order to better your business. You hire the people you need to help you move your business forward. And then when all the pieces are in place, then you have an option on whether or not you want to sign with a major label. Chance the Rapper, great example. He's still not signed to a major label and everyone comes at him every day, but he just donated a million dollars to a local charity in his community of Chicago. He's making all the decisions. His manager, Pat, just recently signed a deal with, uh, I think it's Warner Brothers, a major label where his band gets to maintain their masters and the label is licensing those masters. So once again, keep as much stuff as you possibly can. Don't feel that you need a label in order to be successful. Go out there and love on your fans. They're the ones that matter in the end. They are the ones that will give you a career. No record company is going to give you a career. Your fans are what's going to give you your career. Anything you want to say before we end episode 150? This has been fun. We have to do this more often. I know. I have known you since I was almost 17 and always have things to learn. And this is so exciting. The 150th episode. That's right. By the way, if you want to go grab an assessment, figure out where the heck you're starting in this business. If you would like to figure out how to bring me on board uh, to help you manage your career, just head over to rickbarker.com. While you're there, you can grab a free copy of the book. You can take the assessment. We talked a lot about social media. I have a free training that I would like to offer you called How to Grow Your Music Business in Under an Hour. And if you have not subscribed or shared this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would do it. And who knows, you could be featured on the next episode and maybe I'll even get a five-star rating from you. You never know. (laughs) Thank you again, my dear. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Now, if you feel that having me as a coach or a mentor would benefit you at this stage in your career, I would love nothing more than to be a part of your team. Simply go to rickbarker.com forward slash assessment. That's R-I-C-K-B-A-R-K-E-R.com forward slash assessment. A-S-S-E-S-S-M-E-N-T. Let's see if we're a good fit. By answering the questions during this free assessment, it will also give us a great starting point and next steps to move your career forward. Also, if you know someone who could benefit from this podcast, please share it. It means the world to me. Last thing, let's stay in touch. Follow me on socials. I'll follow you back. And until next time, have a great day. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. 
And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.